I'm Jim Walsh from the Garden State Division. And about a little over two years ago, I was on Tom's um, podcast, and I put out the challenge, why doesn't he come out to New Jersey and attend this convention? And sure enough, surprisingly, here he is today. Yes. And he's going to let us know about, a little about how the podcast will be our future. I mean, it's been my past, present, and future. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. So I was thinking about this topic, and I was at the OSCAR National. And I arrived at the OSCAR National, was immediately greeted by Terry Terrence, Duncan McCree. Jim Lincoln was there, he came a little later. Stephen Vaughan Senior, obviously, and Jim Gore. And Jim Gore said to me, I took Jim Gore out to dinner. He's good value if you ever meet Jim Gore, take him out to dinner. And he said to me, I want to get the national talking about podcasting. And we'll get the national talking about podcasting in terms of making communities with podcasts. And I said, oh, that's really interesting, because I'm giving a talk <laughs> in Marwa, New Jersey, associated with doing exactly that same thing. So what I want you to think about is think about the notion of communities and the qualities that you want from communities, in particular, the qualities you want from the NMRA. And I'll talk about that in the context of my experience creating Model Rail Radio. So some background. I probably sound like I'm not from around here. I was born in Adelaide in South Australia and I was raised in Canberra. Now, maybe with some of the military folk that are here, they know a little bit more about Canberra, but it was the $32,000 question on who wants to be a millionaire. And they asked the audience, and the audience didn't know that Canberra was the capital of Australia. So I grew up in an area very similar to Washington DC. In fact, the architects that uh, worked on Canberra based it on Washington DC. and. Every year, I would spend a couple of weeks in Adelaide. Now, my grandparents were in Adelaide, other family members were in Adelaide, but I'd stay with my grandparents, and I spent my time in Adelaide studying them. Studying them as a future projection associated with how to live one's life. What qualities did they have? What things should I embody? Uh, and my grandfather had a train set that he would take. Now, this isn't around the Christmas tree train set. This is a built-around-the-room train set uh, that we, he would take out and... There are a number of family photos of you know, various branch lines coming off and making their way into the kitchen and things like that. But it was something that would come out. And the other thing that I loved doing with my grandfather was I would record interviews. And this will give some background associated with model rail radio. Now, my primary passion is computer simulation. I'm not a traditional model railroader in any way, shape, or form. I'm interested in, well, this is interesting because computer simulation is very similar to building a layout. What I'm interested in doing is creating a, well, my Project Noble Ape created a rich biological environment with uh, simulated apes that wandered over the environment. And I've added cityscapes and a variety of other things. Then there's a simulated globe and a bunch of other things through Noble Ape. I've been working on it for about 22 years now. It's been used by Apple and Intel. I can talk more about Noble Ape if you want to ask me. But the thing about it is it's about creating a perfect world. It's like creating a layer. And it's countless hours tinkering. So in, late in the evenings, if I can't sleep, I work on Noble Ape, and there's some aspect of Noble Ape that I'm working on typically. But this isn't something that a lot of people understand. And it has a very small community. There are about 50 people the world over that do things similar to what I do with Noble Ape. And it was a community that really didn't have a lot of voices. So what is a podcast? A podcast is episodic audio or video that you can download at any time, which means you can choose when you want to consume it. 
you don't have to listen to it live, although many podcasts record live, Blah Blah Radio records live, but you can listen to it anywhere. And all it requires is that you have some form of electronic device that's capable of downloading and playing it. So increasingly now, podcasts are omnipresent. You can get them on car stereos, obviously cell phones, computers, tablets, anywhere where you've got an electronic device that can access the internet, you can download podcasts and listen to them. So in 2006, I was contacted by a few other simulators, folks that made these artificial life simulations, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to start recording their passion, getting their interests and getting their audio out to create a community. But I held off recording podcasts because I didn't think I had the right audio equipment and I didn't think I had the right tech and I was worried it would be too expensive, these kind of things. But what I started doing is I started doing telephone interviews, just recorded and put them online. And I found that this actually created a small community. And I'd go through the community and record the community, but it was relatively, you know, it was still kind of piecemeal. And what I moved then to was a format called Biota Live, which was a podcast where people called in. Now, a number of folks from Model Rail Raider, Duncan McCree's a good example of this. Duncan McCree used to listen to Biota Live. So there are Model Rail Raiders that also have biological interests that listened to Biota Live previously. But Biota Live, it's an interesting format, was a live radio call-in show where folks who had simulations could call in and talk about it. And they call in from all over the world. They were very passionate. Their voice was very important because it was very impactful. And you could see that these people had really interesting lives and really interesting parts, and their simulations were part of it, very similar to what I've tried to do with Model Rail Radio. A number of characters, a few of them are in the room, <laughs> and you record their voices, you record the impact, you create a community. And what I wanted to do with this, and I thought about this, is what kind of community do I want to create out of this thing? I want a community of respect. I want a community where everyone feels that they can call in and talk with a great degree of passion. However, things sometimes got heated. And there were a number of bad influences in the community, political, traditional, computation, even religion got in there. And there were all kinds of things which made it heated. But in 2009, a variety of things happened. My five main participants in Biota Live all went in separate ways. Some of them became formal scientists. One went to work for Google. One joined a startup. But basically, the podcast, as a live recording, was more me doing monologues than was actually people calling in. So I thought, well, what's gonna, what, what am I going to record next? What kind of community has numbers but is being underserved by podcasts currently? And I surveyed a number of different podcasts, or actually a number of different podcast topics. I had background interest in history, background interest in wargaming, this kind of stuff. I thought, well, I could record podcasts about this kind of topics. I did briefly for a period of time. But what I found with the model rail hobby was for the size of it, there should be about 18 to 24 podcasts. There should be a lot more podcasts than there were at the time. At the time, there were two. There was the Scotty Mason Show, which is still ongoing. It's now, I don't know, it's a monthly show. Micro Scotty Mason did it. At the time, it was a lot more characters. It had Dave Frary, a wide variety of folk who called in as well. Unfortunately, you can't get that audio anymore. And then the late Ryan Anderson had the model railcast show, and I have the privilege of Craig here. And Ryan, Ryan and I had a number of similar styles. I communicated with Scotty, but I did a lot of communication with Ryan. And Ryan based his podcasting on a fellow called Brock Walsh, who works for a company called Libsyn. And he and I had a lot of correspondence early on. Now, I wasn't a model railroader at the time when I started model railroading. I still don't really feel like a model railroader. 
But at the time, I had a grandfather and a great-uncle that had a passion for trains. My great-uncle had some live steam. And there was a large annual train show where I grew up. I had an Overlander, which is a train that went from, uh, I think, South Australia up to the Northern Territory uh, as a boy. And I listened to two podcasts in the space. But when I was about 16, I worked with a group of physicists. And I did it through the school. The school had a program where students that were interested could work with scientists in the local area. And I didn't want to work with computer scientists because I'd already done a lot of computer-related stuff. And physics was my last marks. So I went and worked with a group of physicists who were in their 70s and 80s. And it was an amazing experience. I worked there until I was 22. I basically computerized all their experiments. So what they had done, manual experiments, they'd go and get cups of tea, go and do other things. I came in and computerized them, and then they started getting a lot of data, like more data than they'd ever expected. And then I started collecting the data. But the main thing through that was that I learned the language of physics. And physics has its own language, as many who know physics. Biology has its own language. All these disciplines have their own language. And I thought, model railroading is just a language that I need to learn. I need to understand it by talking to people and asking questions. Now, I already had the format with BioLive. And I thought, well, why don't I create a call-in show but make it associated with model railroading? And I started Model Rail Radio in September 2009. And I started it as a monologue. And I did, I think, two or three monologue shows. And then a gentleman called Chris Abbott called him. Now, Chris Abbott, it's hard to imagine a more saintly person than Chris Abbott. Chris Abbott, <laughs> Chris Abbott has an ability to talk and explain. And he's just a really salt of the earth person. Without Chris Abbott, I don't think Model Rail Radio would have evolved. I would have done monologues until I basically became exhausted and stopped it. But Chris Abbott and I had conversations over a number of recordings, which then brought in other people, people that Chris Abbott knew, other listeners, other participants. And it was the strength of having someone like Chris Abbott to, to talk with initially, which also then encouraged folk like, obviously, folks like Clark Cooning, uh, Clark Cooning to call in, and a number of other people that just started calling in, and the podcast just snowballed. I started by using the technology that was available at the time, which was very rough. It was call-in software, talk shoe, and blog talk radio, and these kind of things, where you just had to have a phone line. Sometimes you could do it through your computer as well. Very raw, uh, 8K telephone quality audio. But when I moved to the Bay Area, which was uh, October 2011, we moved to Skype. And everything was, well, Skype is interesting. Skype has its own problems. But Skype made it doable. And I already had a format with both lives. So I already had a sense of this is what you do to create a community. This is how you create respect. This is how you make people feel comfortable. If English isn't the person's first language or if they have speech ticks, which we all have, some more than others, you have to edit the audio so their audio sounds better. So they feel comfortable. Even if they call in the first time, they're really nervous. They say a whole lot of stupid stuff and then they say, I'm sorry. And then, you know, there's a format where people say A, B, C, C, B, D, B, C, D, and they have a, a, where they're saying the same information repeated to, in order to create a sentence. You get all these different kinds of speech ticks that you have to work with. So here's the question. There are rumors that podcasting is incredibly expensive, and this is completely not the case. I had already optimized, so through the period of time that I was doing podcasts, both my wife and I lost our jobs, we moved, there were a variety of things. We bought a house. There were a number of things early on where I realized that this had to be a hobby which wasn't very costly. And that was incredibly important. So 
I say on average it costs me about $80 annually, but that's only because I've been stupid over the past three years and bought some pretty expensive microphones, which didn't work. I've got another slide for that one. But the previous, I did this talk about five years ago at a, an NRA meet uh, local to me, and the previous figure was about $20 annually. So the $60 has been added just because of these stupid microphones. Web hosting is nearly free. I have, I think now I have an almost infinite number of domains. I have more than 50 domains which costs me $86 a year. So Mobile Rara Radio is one of 50 of that, a tiny amount of money. The actual web hosting is nearly free. The audio hosting is completely free. I use the Internet Archive, and the Internet Archive is a free service that's just about cataloging a wide variety of things. I think even you could possibly even include advertising in your podcast and still use the Internet Archive. But that gives me free hosting for the audio. And the tools that are there that you need to create a podcast, I'll talk a bit more about that, are all maintained by a community, and most of them are free. So the audio editing software I use is free. The stuff that gets all the levels right is free. Um, you know, there are only small bits of software, and they're on the order of $25. So it's not an expensive hobby at all. And also, there's a lot of free help available. And what I say to everyone that I talk to is that if you need help creating a podcast, I'm more than happy to help. Uh, certainly, uh, Craig knows I've helped his friend Tim. Sure. I've done YouTube videos. I've, a lot of this stuff is graphical, and you're going to like you know write text and stuff. So I did YouTube videos explaining it. I've done tens of videos associated with audio editing and this kind of stuff. So my perspective is that there's a, a vast quantity of free resources for creating podcasts. And certainly, if the NMRA wants to formalize this, then they can own some of the resources and these kind of things in terms of, of teaching people. So. I've got a kind of another slide on technology, but I didn't want to make this talk too much about the technology. You need a computer to record a podcast, but it doesn't have to be the latest computer. The more RAM that you have, the less likely it is to crash, but you, you can just get by with a five, six-year-old computer. You need audio recording software, which is, well, it depends whether you're recording on Skype, but it's relatively low cost. You need audio editing software, which is free. I use software called Audacity, which is available for Mac, Windows, Linux, very easy to use. You need text editing software. So what happens is you record a podcast, you create these audio files that you've edited, and then you have a text file, which uh, iTunes and all the podcasting software that people download podcasts from come to. It's just a text file. So you just need a text editor. And the format, which is RSS, is very easy to edit. If you can do basically anything in the hobby, you have enough technical understanding to edit an RSS feed. And ideally, you need a microphone and some headphones. But the most important thing about podcasting is it's not about the technology. It would be like saying that the model writing hobby is just about track. That's all it's about. It'd be ridiculous to say that. The hobby is the community in model writing. And when you create a podcast, you want to think about a community and the kind of community that you want to create. And people rarely talk about this. If you listen to you know, podcasts or read books associated with podcasting, they don't talk about creating a community. But I think actually the way people should create podcasts is think about the community that they're looking to nurture, think about the community that's out there that they could add to it. I mean, the, the amazing thing with the NMRA is the possibilities associated with the number of people that are in the hobby but not members of the NMRA currently. And it's that kind of ability to project what kind of community you want to create and then just create content that 
you know, nurtures that kind of community and brings more people in. But I think it's really important to be really powerful with the NMRA. So my perspective coming to recording mobile rail radio was that it needed to be about diversity. Now, I mentioned two podcasts. The Scotty Mason show was basically Scotty and his friends, people he knew in the community. I recorded from that. And that was great. That was fascinating. I mean, you know, all of his friends were very, very interesting people. But what interested me was associated with finding people that no one had ever heard of and finding lone wolf modelers that had done some amazing work and had techniques that no one had ever even thought about, you know? I mean, the thing with this hobby is that there's no right way to do anything. There are so many different ways to do everything, and then people find ways. And sometimes it can be associated with the weather conditions, you know, associated with what kind of spline you use. It's based on the humidity and the temperature and a variety of conditions and transient temperature. So even within the US, there are so many different ways to do track work. And it's based on a variety of things which are just really dynamic. So what I was interested in doing with Modern Royal Radio was encouraging diversity, making sure I got callers from all over the world, which was quite difficult because we have a lot of listeners in China. We have a number of listeners in Russia. We've got a number of Spanish-speaking listeners that consume the podcast and want to produce content, but you know, that's a difficulty. So when you start expanding and start you know, finding new audiences, diversity is a, an interesting problem. But the thing that really fascinates me is how vast the model rail hobby is. I mean, how many lone wolf modelers there are. I, <laughs> I went to Michigan and uh, Illinois five years ago, now six years ago. Every academic I met with, and I met with 12 of them, were model railroads. None of them, and many of them were in the same areas, had communicated with each other. They'd occasionally, one or two would see each other at train shows. But just in doing that, you find a, a hobby, a community, that are lone wolf, not communicating, but are stretched out. And what I find, with, and I've got another slide that says this, but the quality of Model Rail Radio for me is that I can go anywhere in the world and meet listeners. Anywhere in the world. And I do a bit of traveling. I don't travel as much as I perhaps should. But it always amazes me that everywhere I go, and this, thanks to my wife for putting up with this fact, <laughs> but everywhere I go, there'll be listeners that will want to meet me, want to show me their layout, want to talk to me about some aspect of the podcast, and that, I found, was really fascinating. The other thing that's fascinating about model rail hobby is how diverse the interests are in terms of scale, uh, region, but also folks that like electronics versus folks that like scenery versus folks that like operations versus folks that like computer control. And all these different areas come together into the model rail radio hobby. So one of the things that I wanted to do with model rail radio as well was have a diversity of callers and a diversity of perspectives, which I kind of get naturally. Just by opening the calls, I can't predict who's going to call in. If we're lucky, we might get organised shows. It might be about some particular topic. But in general, what happens is I start recording and I get a few regular callers, I get a few new callers, I get some people who are doing really interesting work, I get narrative callers that have called in previously and have new things that they're adding to. So. You've got all these different people with all these different areas of interest, but it's also about sharing knowledge between these areas of interest. And it's one of the things that I find really fascinating with Model Rail Radio. So, if you want to create your own podcast, if you want to create a podcast about some aspect of the hobby that you enjoy, what are the qualities of the community, what are the qualities that you want to embody in this podcast? 
do you want to record a podcast just about a club that you belong to? <laughs> this could be done. It's kind of done by a couple of new podcasts where there are maybe three or four friends, which are kind of a default club format, and they talk about things as they built their layout. The important thing is just introducing the audience to your passion, your particular area of interest. And some podcasts exist by just having two or three people that periodically interview people. So you could gather a list of guests for your podcast, and perhaps even for true lone wolf modelers that you know live out in the middle of nowhere and don't have particular interest communicating with others through a podcast, create a monologue of things that you find in the hobby, things of interest. There's also a real need, and certainly Ryan did this, and a number of other folk have kind of stepped in uh, to do things similar, associated with providing a step-by-step -step introduction to building a layout. And I think that's an important niche, which I'm not attempting to solve with Model Rail Radio, but I'd really love other folks to try and tackle. And I think what would be really interesting through this, there are some new podcasts that do do elements of this, but many of them are kind of further along the way, which means some of the questions that you know new folks starting out in the hobby aren't really solved by this. But I think this will be a really interesting podcast format. The other thing that Ian MRA I'd like to see, but it's, it's being done uh, in, in uh, certainly in the UK, but I'd like to see in more areas, is associated with the NMRA doing regional updates through podcasts and providing conversations just within you know, regions associated with what's going on there, what are the successes, what are the things that are being learned from. Because certainly one of the things I found fascinating was there was a, a Christmas build with Home Depot where Cato was part of it and a few other manufacturers were part of it. And it just seemed like a really smart thing. And for whatever reason, the National couldn't do it, but there were some local clubs that were able to get it to go successfully. And I've had a, one guy call in from one of those clubs, and I just wanted him to break down what went into doing that and what can the rest of the, you know, what can the National learn from this? Like, how can we start doing these kind of things successfully across the country and across the world, potentially? So there are these kind of things that you can tease out of podcasts as well. Aside from a community of participants, you also have a community of listeners. And when you create a podcast, I come to this from all my simulation is open source, which means anyone can access it. So I'm already prepared for people who want to ask questions and these kind of things. And when you create software of this kind, it's kind of akin to your listeners. So when you create a podcast, you'll have people consuming this that have questions and want to interact. And you can think associated with a podcast, this might be stretching a little bit, with what you would do with a layout. You have givens, you have druthers, but you have things that you really don't want to be a part of it. And you have to be conscious of that as well when you create a podcast. So what about social media? How important is social media? For me, Facebook has been very important, but Facebook has changed certainly over the time that I've done Bottle Rail Radio. With Biometer, I created a Facebook community which modeled the podcast in some regard and created feedback and topics and these kind of things. And the Model Rail Radio Facebook group is very unlike that. It's very chaotic. It's a good way for people to introduce themselves, but it really is a kind of self-nurturing community which is completely separate and completely uh, self-organizing, removed from the podcast. And what's really interesting in social media is that you, you create these entities which then go on and become their own thing. And historically, not just model railroading, a number of hobbies have had problems with forums. And the problem with forums is that you have a couple of kind of gatekeeper experts that just, you know, beat around new folk and basically there's no reason to stay on them because you don't want to ask a question because, you know, so-and-so will jump on you and there'll be these kind of problems. 
ironically, many, well, some of these characters have been integrated into modern rail radio through a variety of, of different methods. So I think the forum experts are still possibly useful, but you may not want to create forums associated with your podcast. Apple did a big push associated with all podcasts having Twitter accounts, and for me, Twitter is for a very particular kind of person that has more free time than I tend to have. Um, but Twitter can also be very useful. I know the NMRA has various regional and uh, national uh, Twitter uh, account, and they've certainly been very good with regards to talking about modern rail radio as well. So <laughs> this has always been a political topic. So I'll take a sip of water as I think how I'll uh, address this one. Um, certainly, uh, Scotty, and in a completely different way, Ryan Anderson, wanted to make self-sustaining financial podcast. They wanted the podcast to be self-sustaining financially. And what that means is that um, in Ryan's case, he outloaded a lot of money initially in computer equipment and microphones. He sent them all over the world. He sent some to England, a bunch of other places. And he, he, it was very much the model that the podcast would get in sponsors and then the listeners would have, um, they would pay for additional content and, you know, there would be ads and Scotty Mason used ads as well. And basically the podcast had to be a financially sustainable entity. And from my perspective, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky professionally. And my perspective is um, slightly different to that. It came at a point where Audible contacted me within the first three or four months and said, we'd like you to talk for 10 minutes about a book. And it just didn't seem to be a good use of my time. And it seemed to tax the community interest, and if I started the podcast with an ad, I wasn't really sure if people would continue to listen to the podcast. I come from a very particular perspective. Certainly, um, Lionel Strang has created the uh, A Model's Life Network, and Lionel has followed basically some of Ryan Anderson's views, and he also uses Libsyn, which is the primary uh, motivator for this model of podcasting as well. So there are you know, there are podcasts out there that do have some form of monetization, that do have Patreons, and do continue to uh, operate. And in Lionel's case, he operates very, very well. It might just be Lionel, though. <laughs> <laughs> My perspective, however, has been that it, in creating a, the podcast as a financial instrument, it creates a bunch of problems. And I think also, and certainly when I talked to the, uh, talked to the national board meeting nine years ago, there's a sense that so many people come into this hobby and try to monetize some aspect of it. They want to take away something. And I think certainly I found initially that folks were very jaded in model railroading associated with just the next guy coming in and looking for some way to monetize. And I, I, I don't see any benefit in what I do with model radio and monetization. But that is not to say that, um, you know, if you want to, there are certainly models out there for that. From my perspective, and... Um, folks that will check out the Model Rail Radio website will realise that we haven't recorded a podcast for about three months. I had my electrical work in my house pulled out. I was living in my bedroom with my wife and cats and everything we owned while the rest of the house was being destroyed around us. The true commodity for podcasting is time. That's what you are putting in here. Um, it's not financial, it's time. And the way in which you use your time is really important. You've got to think about how um, important and the quality of time that you spend with your podcast is also important. So I spent a lot of time early on and I edited a number of other podcasts, not just my own, to get my um, 
skill at editing uh, to be much faster. I really stress that when you start podcasting, you need to listen to your own work with a really critical ear. You need to, and for me, it's eliminating arms, lip smacking, and white space, which is where people just you know, flake or are thinking on other things. Make the audio sound more professional, and it gives a beautiful feedback loop because people that call in and participate hear their audio after the fact, and they're like, oh, that sounds really good. I was nervous about calling it, but it sounds really good. So, you know, I'll call better, it again. Better than I remember. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's the important part. It's always got to be better than people remember. Or I said that? <laughs> so, five, Ooh, I said that. <laughs> five years ago, I did this talk, and I did this talk completely differently. But I wanted to talk to a couple of slides. So, early on, I was fascinated with numbers. And numbers with model hour radio were just off the charts. Uh, as you can see, these were based on unique IPs. But I was getting a considerable number of listeners, and it, it, you know, I, I stopped counting after a quarter of a million. Uh, and it was just absolutely ridiculous. All over the world, constantly downloading, and it was just a thing that was beyond anything I could have imagined. You, you've got to understand, here, after the first month, it was at about 4,000 listeners already. I mean, the, the feedback loop was very, very tight with regards to this thing, because people were really interested in the hobby and wanted to get audio content. And the biggest bump happens in the uh, gift-giving period, as we say in California, um, because this is where people get new devices, and they're like, oh, what do I associate with this holiday? Uh, model rail, trains, uh, and they listen to podcasts. So most of these numbers get bumped towards the end of the year. It's quite funny, and then you get a spike at the end of the year, which is new listeners coming in because they get new devices. But this is a huge listening audience. And for the NMRA, and I said this to the National, I said this to the National back when it was, I don't know, you can listen to the audio and work out what number it was. Um, and they were all very sceptical, you know. They're like, mm, well, the magazines say this much, and you know. This is a free group of folk. Roughly 50% of them probably haven't laid track yet. Probably don't even understand basic aspects of the hobby. So you've got a huge audience here that can pick up into the hobby. But I did want to say something. I don't trust these numbers. <laughs> because, um, and this is actually interesting with the time, I was trying to map this with regards to the iPhone and these kind of things. These are based on unique IP addresses, which means literally a connection between a phone and a cell tower. Uh, slightly more fuzzy than that. But typically, as the device listens, they have three to five IP addresses. You know, there's a hot, this science associated with working out the number of listeners that you have is actually really difficult. Google's put a lot of time into it. A number of companies, Lipson's put a lot of time into it. I put a lot in time into it. So I don't even play with numbers anymore because this is ridiculous. The issue is that wherever I go in the world, there are listeners. And that's what's important. That there are people constantly finding this stuff. And I have podcasts that I haven't worked on for seven years, eight years, that are still growing in listenership. Still have listeners. Still have people contacting me. I did a podcast a year or so ago with a guy from the, the Jackass franchise, the movies, the MTV stuff. <laughs> More listeners now than we ever had when we were actually recording it. He's, he does his other stuff. So, but it's interesting that even the old academic stuff, every year gets a bump in listeners, more and more listeners. So as people get these devices, they go back, they find the old content, 
And I know a number of folk even sitting in this room have listened to Model Rail Radio in its entirety multiple times. So irrespective of what you see with regards to unique IP addresses, there are, there's a huge audience, an unbelievably huge audience, just by putting stuff together. So this is another slide, two slides from five years ago. This is the equipment that I used then. Everything is the same, except I've upgraded my MacBook. But aside from that, everything's the same. Core record anomaly I shouldn't have to pay for repeatedly, but every new computer, because it's great software, I buy again. Headphones are dirt cheap. I use my iPhone or whatever device to do roving recording as needed. But basically, it's a fixed cost initially, and if you've already got a computer, it doesn't matter. If you've got a Windows machine, you're probably going to be in a lot more luck than I am with my MacBook, because the drivers on the mic's not good. I don't give recommendations associated with microphones. I've gone through all of them. I've gone through stick mics. I've gone through all the major, in the past three years, all the major microphone providers. Yeti is my greatest frustration, because Yeti used to make a really good uh, sorry, not Yeti, Snowball, used to make a really good microphone. And I bought five of them and I actually give them to people who are starting out podcasts just to test if they're interested in doing podcasts. This is a, one of the things I did talk to Jim Gore about is the NMRA sponsoring podcast boxes. So Amazon still has uh, maybe a $59 deal, maybe a $99 deal for everything that you need, microphone, headphones, in a box. And that, I think, for um, the NMRA from a national level or even a regional level, it'd be good just to have a couple of these that you could pass on to people. I have about five of them. Uh, when people are done with them, they send them back if they upgrade them. So I get a few of them kind of in flux. Um, but they're really useful microphone headphones, USB connectors, and, you know, give people the opportunity just to kind of wet their toes. The thing I use currently is an M Audio mic. I actually had to go up and photograph and make sure it was this one because I went through all these. I use an M Audio mic, but even that I have problems with Skype. And I have to reboot Skype every 100 minutes or so. I've upgraded the computer recently, and my hope is the connector will fix some of that. <laughs> these things are just a little bit dicey. It's still, for folks that use JMRI and these kind of tools, you're familiar, there are things that are involving, right? Podcasting is the same, and microphones, unfortunately, went through a perfect period and then kind of dropped off. So a bunch of old snowballs that are really good, but the current quality isn't as good as it has been. Blue Yeti, which was the snowball upgrade. A tiny little connector, which is just a weak point. I bought a bunch of high-end mics and was disappointed with all of them. And I've just stuck with M Audio. I can't really give recommendations associated with microphones. Um, but just try what you can with your particular system. So if you're attending this, you're probably attending it for a reason. You may be attending it just to see this strange ape-like creature from Australia perform in front of you, but hopefully you're attending it for a slightly better perspective that you may actually be interested in starting your own podcast. You may be interested in recording some aspect of your passion. It doesn't have to be in the model railroading hobby. Let's just say in the model railroading hobby. And you want to work out how you get started with this thing. The best way to do this is to find something that you're really passionate about. Find something that you're really excited about that is easy for you to record upon. If you, as you wander around the convention, as you meet people and if you talk about something particularly passionately, if this conversation goes on for more than about 20 minutes, maybe even 10, this might be a topic that you could record a podcast on. 
this might be a topic that is worthy of just sitting down and recording some audio and thinking about some of the stuff that I've talked about here. You will not do it alone. I'm more than happy to give you assistance. And I've given assistance to a number of folk, Lionel Strang we've mentioned, I've given assistance to Tim and Craig. I, I really, podcasting is a primary hobby of mine. I think it's an amazing means of getting information out to a huge audience and creating really vibrant and interesting communities. And I think when I came to frame this talk, I wanted to very much do it around this notion that Model Rail Radio for me is a huge luxury. It's an amazing experience. The ability to, but it's not associated with Model Rail Radio per se. It's associated with all the amazing and interesting and just deeply fascinating people that I've had the opportunity to meet through doing this. Uh, folks such as Jim Gore, Terry Terrence, a number of folks in this room. These are people who I never would have met, I never would have found in the broader world if I hadn't recorded audio and put it online. And I am very passionate about getting folks <laughs> recording podcasts. So if you're interested, I'm more than happy to render assistance to you. I've probably already created YouTube videos along the way to help other folks to do it. So it's probably, I will, may just point you to YouTube videos initially. Certainly, in the case of Tim Harrison, I'll use Tim as an example, uh, Ryan Anderson passed away. He passed away about four years ago now, I think. Oh, I think five. Five years ago. Yeah, time flies. Uh, he died very rapidly, and he didn't have, um, he didn't create a handover associated with his podcast. And there were a lot of technical things that Ryan had maintained that weren't communicated on to Tim Harrison who picked up the podcast. So what I did with Tim was spent a lot of time just starting with basics, going through the basic things. Similarly with Scotty Show, the Scotty Show's had a few iterations. <laughs> uh, a couple of those iterations, I got involved and helped out the folks that were doing the editing and things like that. Uh, RSS feeds are unique and interesting, uh, and they can be described over YouTube and various other methods. So, I mean, these are the slightly technical parts of podcasting that I'm more than happy to, to help with. But the main thing is just recording some audio and giving it a go, getting a sense of it. Now, we haven't talked about video podcasting at all. There have been a few podcasts in the model rail writing hobby that have had video components to them and have been video podcasts. There was an N-scale video podcast that started very early on and been a couple of others. Video is also a possibility here. The hosting that I've mentioned doesn't, is, is agnostic, whether it's audio or video, in fact, many uh, podcasts include PDF files and a bunch of other media in their podcasting feeds. So if you're interested in video, it's a different kind of editing, but it's certainly another means to, to get information out and you can do it through a podcast. But the most important thing is just giving it a go. Just even if it's a monologue or if you've got a couple of mates or if you've had an interesting conversation here and you want to take it to a Skype call and expand upon it, just test it out. And if you record audio, and you can't make it into a podcast, there are plenty of podcasts that will take your audio and promote it. In fact, many podcasts outside the model writing hobby have been people submitting audio to another podcast for a period of time, and then they get comfortable with it, and then they create their own podcast for the audio that they've submitted. So there are many different cycles here associated with a way that you could get a podcast out. But the most important thing is just giving it a go, just recording audio and uh, exploring your passion. So that is my talk. Do we have any questions?
<laughs> Can I schedule time already to so to work with you? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You showed the statistics that you mm -hmm. said you had some doubt about their accuracy for the years up to 2013. Mm -hmm. What's been going on since then? Um, I got the growth was linear for a period of time and it gets exponential at the end of the year the issue that I have had with it is that it's not I've had other podcasts so I have currently have maybe three other podcasts but I had another podcast that did relatively well and I did various experiments particularly when I'd appear on other podcasts and sometimes we'd the podcast that I was recording we'd record audio and put it online and I got some substantial spikes with that. But the more time that you invest in these numbers, the more time you waste in these numbers. And <laughs> it has continued to grow. Um, it has been more linear, uh, aside from the end of the year, but it has continued to grow. It's not now something that I check on a regular basis. I occasionally check associated with bandwidth usage but I don't follow the numbers associated with unique IP because it's just a flawed system. And once you start getting, once it crossed a quarter of a million, it really was just ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's more associated with the bandwidth usage that I have concerns about now. Um, you made the point earlier about the uh, profit as opposed to the more community. open source community yeah. type of thing. Um, I, and it, having worked with Ryan quite a bit you know, before he passed, uh, that was certainly something he was always very interested in, as, as you well know. And uh, he tried for a long time to really monetize it. He wasn't trying to make a fortune on it, like mm -hmm. you say. He was just trying to justify get, get enough to justify the cost mm -hmm. of you know hosting it and everything else like that. Um, I'm not so sure it was ever really that successful. Um, when he passed, neither Tim or I was really interested in maintaining that, so we've kind of let it fall. But I've always been more comfortable personally with the open source mm -hmm. method, just the way Model Rail Radio is. So Lionel has had success with regards to his Patreon, which yeah. is why I acknowledge it here. Mm -hmm. um, a large part of that is Lionel Strang. Yes. Like the nature of what Lionel does professionally translates to everything he touches. And I mean, <laughs> he, he is a powerhouse mm -hmm. within everything that he uh, touches. I. Um, he is quite a character, and he is relatively unique in this. I, my concern is that um, Rob Walsh, the gentleman who Ryan was mentored under, who uh, basically took this podcasting model and sold it to Libsyn and then became part of Libsyn, he was... Um, I don't think he was particularly honest. He and I had a number of... We meet each other for dinner in Vegas periodically. But we had a number of arguments associated with what was required within a community. If people come to a thing with expectations that it's going to be financially self-sustaining and it's not financially self-sustaining, they have a very different perspective of it and it drops off very quickly. They also, and Ryan, unfortunately, while he was alive, still embodied this, there's a hostility with the audience, which is really curious, right? Yeah. There's, there's this kind of thing like, why aren't I buying subscriptions and why aren't we getting sponsors? And, you know, it kind of, it's energy which is completely and utterly unneeded, I felt. I and certainly... Um, while Ryan was still alive, I had a number of interactions with him where I was like, I can host all your stuff for free. Mm -hmm. All the stuff that's costing you money, that's costing you, you know, $200 a month or whatever, mm -hmm. I can do for free. So we can take that weight off you and you can focus on the podcast, you know. Um, 
so that was that. There have been, look, outside model railroading, there, there have been a number of podcasts that have been very financially successful. Uh, many of them have been involved with the IRS. And uh, I had my own little journey with the IRS this year, and um, yeah, the UK is looking very nice. Um, and my perspective is that you need to be careful associated with where you do these things and how you do them. So I'm very careful to say, well, you know, there are good examples out there of people that have been very successful, but it changes the nature of what you do. And when you start looking at monetizing seriously, um, it changes your relationship with every aspect of the thing. And I find even just thinking about recording an audible ad, like, my time's not worth this nonsense. Yeah. Right. Any other questions? I saw hands over here. I noticed that usually a short lag between the time that everybody's calling in and you get it mm -hmm. and edited. Give me an idea of how long a, a, a individual evening's podcast is to begin with, and how long it takes you. There's, um, I tried to get it about 1.5, but there's genuinely a probably 2.5x time. I have a number of automated processes which reduce the audio and get the levels correct and do all the stuff where it's presentable. But I find um, some of it's got to do with my job as well, my day-to-day -day job. I work for Netflix. If I don't have, um, if I'm not in the right mind space to do audio editing, I don't do audio editing. Because as, as Craig notes, you don't want to be in a hostile combative manner with it. So the greatest problem for me associated with putting out longer model RAR radios, I used to record, so in terms of numbers, I used to record um, five hours and edit it down to three and a half, four. I now record two and a half hours, edit it down to one and a half to two. That's more bite-sized for me to actually do in editing. I divide it up, but typically each caller is a separate section and I edit them, so I'll do maybe three or four a night get through it quite comfortably. But if stuff's going on with work, or if I've got any other related hassles, I've removed myself from the local community organization. I've done a bunch of things to optimize my time so I get more quality time with the podcast. But in the past three months, for example, where literally my body's caked with plaster dust and the cats have a hacked cough and my life is on me and a variety of other things associated with this thing, um, it's just not conducive to editing audio. And I think certainly so there were periods of time, thankfully, prior to Model Rarity, where I lost my job. And then I stopped recording podcasts because I needed to focus on getting a job. So um, thankfully, with Model Rarity, that hasn't happened. But if those kind of things happen, then your life has to take, you know, you need to have primary. Um, but Model Rarity for me is a real luxury. It's luxury time, and the quality of audio that I put out really is an homage, not just my maternal grandfather, but also my paternal grandfather, a number of their generation. Um, something I didn't really talk about in the slides, this notion of what public audio in this country is very, you know, PBS is very different than the BBC, for example, and what I experienced in Australia with regards to local community audio and these kind of things. It's very important for me to produce audio, which is, I think, comparable or better than what PBS is producing. And I think the nature of that, particularly on focused topics, requires that I put in extra time sometimes just to produce the best possible audio. I'm probably slightly more obsessive than everyone, certainly slightly more obsessive than Lionel associated with this. But I feel, um, because of the community I want to create and the amount that I want to present, I want to spend that extra time. So that sometimes, when we have hard calls, so if folks listen to Model Rail Radio, you don't have to attend this, but if you do, um, we had a gentleman in Australia who called out the entire US as modular community 
in a show two recordings ago. I'm very friendly with this gentleman. I, I literally just spent time with him, literally spent time in his house. Two weeks later, he calls in the Model Rail Radio and says that all the modules that are created here are not. So that <laughs> takes time as well. So in my view, I have a relationship to the audio where if I have to change something or if something comes up, we've had people pass away as well. So we have a, an evolving community. We've had uh, a couple of people, more than a couple, unfortunately, that have created political problems within the community. I didn't really talk much about this, but I find it very important that um, the environment that's created is uh, not a hostile one where people are attacked and where they're attacked at the home and these kind of things. So the, more so two plus years ago, there was some disciplinary action that I had to take within the community and that always takes time and energy. But in general, um, so for example, my wife is going on a cruise and I'm recording the next show with the anticipation that she will be on a cruise, I'll be able to edit and get it out and say thank you for the past three months where I haven't been able to record audio. It's about quality of time. So let's say 2.5 in the right frame of mind. I just want to mention one more thing. Like you were talking about get, get on it, get, you know, try it, whatever like that. Um, my experience with it, uh, and the reason it worked well when Ryan was around and now that Tim is around for the Marrakesh show, uh, my experience with it is I'm not a very good primary, if mm -hmm. you will. I, I'm not somebody who can handle doing the interview. You're a color man, right? I am a color man. That's exactly <laughs> yes. it. And so what I was going to suggest, if anybody else, a lot of people probably feel like they're not that kind of person that could do that. If you're interested and you do have passion like you're talking about, but you don't feel like you're a person, find somebody who is mm. good with that and team up with them. Mm. Someone who shares your interest, at least partially. And you know that has worked out really well for us. And I could never do it on my own, but mm. I, I find I've had great success personally working with Tim and working with Ryan and adding a lot, hopefully, to the show. You know, and you know, so there's a there's a way for you to contribute, even if you can't be that guy or girl. You know, so find somebody else and create your own little community to mm -hmm. you know get it going, and then you know, and as with monorail radio, yeah. you'll get people more involved, and then so a lot of that problem starts to go away because it takes care of itself. Maybe your club has that dynamic. Maybe you have a group of friends. Yeah. You don't need an alpha person. You can just have a community of folk where each have different areas and you just collaborate together. Right. The driving force behind a podcast sometimes can be a collective of people. It doesn't just have to be an individual. And I think that's an important point to make, but maybe you have someone who just does the audio editing, maybe you have someone who does the presenting, maybe you have someone who goes out and does interviews, roving things. Find, very similar to the hobby, find where your skills lie, right. put it together. Absolutely. Don't let that stop you. Any other questions? You should give a plug as to how people can yeah, right. uh, at least hear the existing podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're listening to this audio, you may have already discovered Model Rail Radio. But if you're not listening to the audio, it is modelrailradio.com. And that's the way you find uh, many, many hundreds of hours of audio. A little footnote. We had a show 100 where we recorded 10 and a half hours of audio. If you ever want to hear what Model Rail Radio sounds like unedited, Show 100 is available in the feed and you can hear everything, including people doing monologues and a variety of other things. We had about 60 people come through our house in downtown San Jose. Um, my wife did contract pneumonia following, so 200 will not be like that. She will not be in the house. But um, we had 
people, we had a, a N-scale modular layout built downstairs. There's a YouTube video of this if you're interested. Literally snaking through the whole downstairs of the house. I was upstairs in my podcasting room with two mics with a constant flow of guests. You weren't there. Was anyone I was here? not. Jim was there. Yeah. Was there no one with you? It's strange to actually come to a place because we had people fly in from all over yeah. uh, to come to. We had Terry Transfer, Jim Lincoln. We had a variety of folk come in. Uh, we're going to do something like that for 150. My wife is going to be at a spa somewhere, enjoying herself. <laughs> and uh, I'll be at the house trying to marshal something. Hopefully we'll get Bruce Kelly. We had Bruce Kelly, who uh, some of you may know. Uh, we had a bunch of people actually marshalling folk downstairs as well. I mean, that was some amazing things about Show 100 was it really showed the community. And it showed it was very hands-off for me. I mean, I, I didn't organize food or anything. I said, bring donuts and coffee, and we had more donuts and coffee than we'd ever need. There was a shortage of soda. But you create these things, and they're self-organizing communities, right? So I didn't really need to run things. In fact, the train to layout just turned up. Terry Terrence just <laughs> turned up and did all these demonstrations. It didn't require that much playing. I mean, I had to draw out what the house looked like downstairs so they could module stuff in. But it all worked out amazingly. I mean, that's really the strength of this community. And I think the NMRA can utilize that. Yeah. You know, it can utilize that in terms of folks that aren't members of the NMRA, which has got to be at least probably 95% of the model railroaders in the US, at least by the numbers that I see. So, you know, that's a huge community that could join the NMRA if the community was explained in a fashion that uh, reach out to people. Anyway, any other questions? Do you, what form do you think that's best in? Like the podcast for Model Railroad thing, is there a specific thing you'd like to see, like that more is focused? Like, no, we were talking about uh, there's these two guys that are now doing custom build, you know, craftsman structures. They're talking about father and son team. What is there a particular channel you'd like to see? That's I think, cool? no, I just want to see more of them. I mean, that podcast, they've reached out to me. Um, I, it's such, I mean, within the podcast community, it's a real community as well. I just like to see more content. I mean, what I find fascinating is that um, there are so many unique perspectives in this hobby. And the more audio you hear, you know, the more sense that you get that there, I mean, there's a, yeah, there, there are really interesting podcasts associated with model railroading. Some of them only have a small number of folk. Um, but yeah, I, I just like to hear more podcasts. I mean, I think the numbers that I showed were associated with wargaming. Wargaming has always had a substantial number of podcasts for a hobby which is... It's, many model railroaders are ex-wargamers, so I think there's probably some there's some Venn thing. I think they're similar size in some regards. Some of the wargaming conventions are larger, but I think basically that there are more lone wolf modelers. There aren't really lone wolf wargames. So I think... <laughs> I think the... There's comparable sized communities, which means that we probably need to see 18 to 24 at least podcasts associated with model railroading. And we've got at least, you know, at least 10 to go, I think. So, any other questions? I like how Steve turned your own question against you there. Did you notice that? Is there anything you're missing in model rail radio? Well, then spin it right around. Yeah, well, that's another interesting question. I, I asked. So people that want to see people soldering wires and things like that, like there are some things, I should say this, there are some things that audio is great for, there are some things that video is great for. So there are certain topics that I just don't focus too much on on Model Rail Radio, I know Ryan tried to focus on some of them, 
Um, operations are interesting because operations, if you don't, um, I was on Dave Ramos' layout this morning and he said you put signs up everywhere because one of the main problems he has when he goes and operates on other folks' layout is you never know where things are. If people come on a podcast and talk about the layout and people don't know what they're talking about and the relations of thing, it doesn't translate very well to audio. So there are some things which I don't do on Model Rail Radio primarily because it doesn't translate well to the audio form, except sometimes we've had layouts that have been designed and built in the community where the track plants have been available. We've provided the URL so people can actually follow along and look at the layouts as they talk about these kind of things. But yeah, I think um, when I ask that question, it's mainly to see... And I, it's all about a blend, right? <laughs> You've got all these things coming in. I just want to see, um, are we moving too much to HO? Are we not covering live steam enough? You know, of course we never cover live steam enough, but you know, <laughs> there are these kind of things, which I'm interested, I'm interested in hearing from listeners that call in occasionally, because they will sometimes have things where they're really frustrated that we haven't been covering other things. So yeah, that's, that's the nature of that question. Thank you for coming all the way out here. Yes. Well, thank you. Yep. Thank you.